0: Uh, Law, not just to some extent, it actually does impact everything that you do, Uh, and, and so each week we try to bring you experts that are going to enlighten you about things. Today we are very pleased to have with us an immigration lawyer who was an immigrant herself. And, and has a perspective that is not only personal, but also legal, that I'm very pleased to thank you for coming. Uh, attorney, I'm just going to pronounce your last name, George. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> please tell us your full name, please. Certainly. My name is de Rosa George. de Rosa George. Okay. Okay. I'm glad you said it right. <laughs> I didn't kill it at least. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. Thank you for having me. Um, Law is powerful. It impacts everything you do. What you don't know can hurt you, and what you do know empowers you. So I'm glad that you have uh, agreed to come on the air to talk to us about a very topical subject, immigration. It really, really is in the news. And as with so many things in the news, we don't get a good perspective sometimes, or we get a skewed per- uh, perspective. You do this work all the time, is that correct? Is every this day. Nine every to day, five. okay, 9 to 5. So yes. this is your area of, of concentration, and so it's, it's something that you see every day, like I see Wills and Trust every day. You see immigration. So tell me, first of all,
1: where'd you go to law school? I went to Washington College of Law at American University here in Washington, At American University, okay. And um,
0: I started off by saying that you are yourself an immigrant. Tell us a little bit about yourself, please, (laughs) if you don't mind, because I'd like people to understand a little bit about my guest.
1: Absolutely. So my mother is from Mozambique, East Africa. My dad is from Guinea-Bissau, that's West Africa. And... um, They immigrated to France where I was born and then they immigrated to the United States where I grew up and I grew up in California.
0: Okay, okay. So you've got East and West Africa. Yes. Born in France. Exactly. And then come to the United States. There you go. Wow, that's awesome. That's (laughs) amazing. Now, how old were you when you got to the United States? Three years old. Three years old. Yeah. So you really grew up here. I grew up here. Okay. And How did you all become, I take it you're an American citizen now? I am. Okay,
1: how did that happen? Well, in the 80s, um, Reagan had the, uh, Reagan had an amnesty program. I pause because you hear that terminology thrown around a lot. And a lot of people don't realize that the last time any type of immigration amnesty was actually implemented, made into law, was under Reagan's administration. Okay, okay. And um, part of that amnesty program um, allowed for people that were agricultural workers to get a path to a green card. And one of the ways that my parents supported themselves through school was to pick blueberries and apples. Really? Yeah. yeah. And so they were able to take advantage of that um, agricultural um, provision within the amnesty laws.
0: So they were
1: farm workers? Mm-hmm. while well, they were students. Wow. Yep. And what were they studying? My father eventually got a doctorate in education wow. and administration and my mother got a doctorate in psychology.
0: Are you serious? Yeah. I want everybody to hear that. Say that again. They were they came here picking blueberries and
1: apples in Michigan. Yes. Okay. Mhm. Yeah. And got a PhD eventually. Eventually, I mean of course at that stage they were in the undergrad stage, but right. yes. Yeah. While they were Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and my dad also worked at the school's dairy um, dairy farm, milking cows in between classes, too. Wow,
0: that's amazing. Yeah. So when people say that immigrants are lazy and they just come here to get on welfare and,
1: you know, take advantage of the American largesse... By and large, that is such a fallacy for so many different reasons. I mean, I, I... I, I I liken immigrants to the outliers of communities because for what it's worth, most of us like to stay close to what's familiar, Mm -hmm. close to home. And it's really the adventurers, the folks that are going to be working hard because they're trying to attain a dream that are the ones that are leaving. Um, And when they leave and they get here they're working because they have that dream to try and and fulfill now mm-hmm. i'm not saying that every immigrant is a, sta- a saint but by and large they are workers
0: they're really workers yeah. okay now we need to understand that and 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 accept that that is probably the reality of most whether they're documented or not absolutely absolutely now you do immigration give us your contact information please and where what's the name of your office where is it located what I know that you work with churches and, and organizations. You go and speak to organizations. Tell us a little about it, because not everybody knows much about immigration.
1: Yeah, so part of one of the ways that I give back, um, during the amnesty program in the 80s, uh, Catholic Legal Charities, which is a well-known um, uh, organization, facilitated or, or assisted our family in getting their legal status. Okay. And but for them, I I know that that process would have been overwhelming. And so part of the way that I give back is I partner with local churches and I do um, workshops for local communities where I just give the ABCs on different areas of immigration law. And so if folks are interested in that, they're more than welcome to contact um, my give give out your contact information and we'll do it again okay As, okay okay so um my f- office phone number is two zero two three seven zero one three six zero extension two and my office website is l r j o r g e law dot com
0: oh that 's your name yeah l r j o r g e law dot com law dot com yeah. okay, mm-hmm. so you have your own private office in which you do immigration law yes okay now, you are a testament to the hard work of of immigrants. You really are, uh, and thank you for giving back because those are the people that keep America fresh and 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 strong. And we need to embrace that instead of pushing them away. Um, so, talk to me a little about who are immigrants. G- give me. A, we tend to stereotypes them as we tend to do in this country, which is unfortunate. But when we say immigrants, most people, at least uh, for myself, often in the news we're talking about Latina, Latinos, uh, Hispanics, you know, that's the the mindset goes there. Um, And they've been demonized, you know, by the local, the the, the current political uh, powers that be. But in point of fact, immigrants and even undocumented immigrants is a much larger pool of people. Talk to us about that because I, 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 you see it every day because you do it every day. T- tell, tell us who really are immigrants to this country and undocumented immigrants at that.
1: Okay, so to be a, an immigrant is essentially anybody that comes to the United States that is not a national of the United States. So that ah. means if you are, um, from so even if
0: you're visiting,
1: you, well, if you're if you're here visiting, you're considered a non-immigrant. Ah, uh, if okay. we're getting if we're getting down to the legalese. Okay. Uh, yeah, but, but just for the sake of understanding who is an immigrant, it's it's literally anybody who is not a national of the United States. Okay. And so that means that it could be somebody from France, somebody from um, Ghana, someone from Jamaica, someone from China. And, 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 and for better or worse, when you hear the rhetoric on the news, you only have one demographic in mind, and that's a Latino. And usually, it's the low-skilled level worker um, Latino coming from you know, Central America or Mexico and um, crossing the border without a visa. That's one story. Only one story. That's one story. There's so many different ways that immigrants come into the United States, whether it's through visitor visas, student visas, employment-based visas. There are visas for seasonal workers. There are visas for uh, very talented people. There are visas for um, individuals that are... um, Leaders in in businesses, there are investor visas. The list goes on and on, and all these individuals can come into the United States, overstay their visa, in in essence never leave, never leave, and then become undocumented, undocumented. So so they could come from Eastern Europe.
0: They could come from China, they could come from Japan, they could come from... And do they? I mean, is that a large portion of the immigration
1: population? We have a huge um, population of immigrants from China, from India, and that Uh has a lot to do with how big those countries are as well. Right, right, yeah. And Mexico and the Philippines; those are countries that have some of the larger groups of individuals. The Philippines, yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then there's everybody else. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, but again, you don't hear about that. And any any number of them can come in on, like I was saying, non-immigrant visas. And just for the, for context, when we're speaking in the legal context, an immigrant is somebody that comes to the United States to remain here permanently. A non-immigrant is somebody who comes on a temporary visa that has like a time limit on it. Okay. And so many of those visas that I just talked about, the employment-based, seasonal workers, students, visitors, they all have time restrictions. Right. And so those are considered non-immigrant visas. All right. And again, individuals that come in on non-immigrant visas um, and never leave And overstay that time. Exactly. Right. Those individuals become undocumented. Uh So those folks are just as, quote-unquote, undocumented as the Latino person that you see on the news. Uh And, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's here working hard, but... Um, they all have different paths for how they came into the United States. Right, right. But at the end, if their visa has expired and or if they never came in with a visa, they're still considered undocumented. Undocumented. Yeah.
0: Now, why is it that we hear so much about brown and black, non-immigrant, I guess I- undocumented immigrants as opposed to immigrants that are undocumented that may be white or maybe European or maybe you know Chinese or something like that. Why is it that we hear so much particularly in a criminal context about a particular demographic? What's that all about?
1: Good old racial profiling. That's the best way to break it down. Um, If you are black and brown, the statistics are very clear that you're more than likely to be racially profiled. And one of the quickest ways for you to get ensnared in ICE and ICE is Immigration and Customs and Enforcement. They're like the enforcement arm or the police arm of the Department of Homeland Security. And one of the quickest ways that you can interface with ICE is if you interface with the criminal justice system. And so if you are arrested or stopped for anything, even if you're not guilty, Uh And you end up going down to the local precinct, getting your fingerprints taken. And again, maybe you're not guilty and you, you could eventually be released or bonded out. If you're undocumented, the minute that your prints get captured, ICE picks that up. And then they are alerted and they have a window period of time to come and get you. Wow. And so a lot of folks um, get ensnared that way. And it can be something as minor as, you know, getting stopped and arrested for, you know, not, not... have Drunk. a
0: taillight, right? A broken taillight, right? Or uh, anything like right. that. How does that? Uh, uh, w- when you and I were talking in preparation for the program, you mentioned something about uh, in domestic violence cases. It's a real problem because if somebody's being beaten, they're afraid to call the police.
1: Well, in certain jurisdictions, and this kind of carries into the whole discussion of Sanctuary City. Yeah, I want to yeah. kind of
0: move into that as yeah, well so yeah. you can explain that Absolutely. to my audience. Yeah.
1: So in certain jurisdictions, not everywhere, but if somebody calls for a domestic violence... Oh, event. and I should I should explain because most
0: of my audience are lay people. They're not lawyers. So okay. jurisdiction mm-hmm. means the place... Or, or, or somebody has power over something as far as the law is concerned. Right. So a jurisdiction might be a state, it might be a city, it might be a county. You know, it's just a legal term f- how we define the power structure in a particular area. Okay.
1: Absolutely. Okay, go on, go on, please. So sometimes if somebody is calling to say, hey, I'm getting beat, you know, please, please come. Um, and when they come and they question both parties, sometimes they take both parties down to the precinct. Mm-hmm. When they're down at the precinct, then, excuse me, then there will be a process of um, fingerprints and whatnot. And so, in that context, you have the person that's making a call to actually say, "Hey, I'm being victimized." Um, and you know, the precinct has their own steps of doing what they need to do. But in getting their fingerprints captured, I s- can be alerted. So it's automatic. Yeah.
0: If you if you're in the immigration mm-hmm. system and your fingerprints hits anywhere in the United States, it sounds like, yeah. then the immigration officials know immediately you're at a police station where you are.
1: Exactly, and so, and and uh, this again circles back to how sanctuary cities work. That's local jurisdiction saying, hey, you know what, well, so the way it works is you get an ice detainer, so if, if there's a hit Uh The jurisdiction is required to hold that individual there for a certain period of time so that ICE can come and pick them up. So So the police station knows that you are known by
0: the immigration office. If there's a hit, yes. If there's a hit, right. And then they're supposed to hold you there for a certain certain period of time.
1: Correct. Okay, go on. Uh Uh-huh. It's typically 48 hours. Beyond that, that's when they let you go. And so a sanctuary city is where the in, where the local precinct is saying we're not going to hold them beyond that period of time. If you don't come to pick them up, that's too bad for you, ICE, because we don't have the resources, the money. And it's counterintuitive for us to have people um, being held for what we've already decided is not... A, a danger, they're not a danger to society. Okay. So a lot of times when you hear um, about sanctuary cities, you it, it makes it sound as if it's a safe haven for criminals. And that's not what's going that's on. That's not what's going
0: on. Not at all. Okay.
1: Because I know that this
0: immigration thing affects a lot, or at least a lot of people talk about it, they wonder about it. There's been a lot of misinformation out there, and that's why I wanted to bring in an immigration lawyer that actually knows what the law is. So talk to me again about the sanctuary city and what's going on there because you hear one thing, and my impression was that it meant that, you know, people who were undocumented, even if they were criminal, could go to a church or go to a place and the immigration officials couldn't get to them and the police wouldn't help immigration to get to them. Is that true or is that Tell me what that really means. What does an immigration, what does a sanctuary city really mean?
1: A sanctuary city is, in essence, a jurisdiction saying we're not going to do the federal government's job. Our police officers are not going to be, um, in essence, tangent officers of the Department of Homeland Security. So, and so Go on.
0: And so how does that... As a practical matter, what does that mean? If you if you if the police officer hears somebody speak in Spanish,
1: right? If they hear an accent, hear you speaking another language, notices that your name doesn't look quote unquote American, John Smith, Uh exactly. They can't say, Hey, sir, show me your papers. I want to know if you're here, if you're documented or not. Okay. Um, If you get if you if you get pulled over and, you know, rightfully so carted off to the um, local precinct and fingerprinted, they're not going to hold you beyond the 48 hours that they're required to hold you. If you haven't committed a crime and they have any o- they don't have any other reason
0: to hold correct, you, correct. they're going to let you go.
1: Because so, isn't there a cost to holding people for a long period of time? Absolutely. That's another, and, and ICE does not compensate the local jurisdictions for holding folks beyond that ICE detainer. Okay. So there are all these different reasons for why it actually makes no sense. The police
0: departments are
1: already short of money. Exactly. The jails are already overcrowded. Exactly. And if these are low-level or non-criminals, it's it's counterintuitive to hold them there beyond a certain period of time. If ICE really wants them, you know, they can find them Come and get them. Yeah. yeah. And this probably is not going to apply to somebody who is
0: deemed to be a threat or danger to the community.
1: Exactly. And so what you what you get a lot of times is uh, that a sanctuary city is a haven for criminals. If you're a murderer, if you're a rapist, yeah. you know, come to us, we'll protect you. That's not how it works at all. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, if if, if you are that dangerous, the local precinct is not going to release you. Into right. History. They're
0: going to keep you. They exactly. Want, they don't want you there either. Exactly. Yeah. So they would be glad for ICE to come and get you.
1: Mm-hmm. So when
0: you say sanctuary, you're just saying that if you are not a criminal in the sense of of danger to the community, you haven't done anything that is a crime, you may not have your documents, but other than that, the police are not going to hold you just because you are undocumented.
1: Exactly, and they're not going to question you about your, your status.
0: Immigration status and so forth like that.
1: Wow. Are there any sanctuary cities around here? Well, D.C. Okay, <laughs> good, good. Yeah, and um, several, again, jurisdictions within um, the Maryland area. I would, um, I want to say, well, let me refrain because s- certain cities have refrained Different. from actually classifying Sand. themselves as a sanctuary city. Right, but right. But their rules in, w- in one way or another you know. function that way. Yeah. Right, right, right. So
0: what, what are the real-life practical implications of our president's recently proclaimed objectives and orders on immigration laws? Can you talk to us about that and travel and all that other stuff? Talk to us about that, please. Yeah,
1: so the president has issued several executive orders since he has been um, president. uh uh-huh. Now, um, to be sure, he cannot and has not been able to mess with the laws. That's where Congress has to get involved. Thank God. But what he can do is um, implicate um, or he can shift the way that enforcement is actually um, implicated. Uh, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. He can shift the priorities of enforcement. And so under Obama's administration, towards the end of it especially, he had um, a priority system for when ICE came into contact with undocumented individuals. Mm -hmm. And that priority system basically was put into place because there are upwards of 11 million undocumented people, but the resources are extremely limited to be able to actually enforce the removal of all these people. Mm -hmm. Um, From the enforcement end to the judicial end, the courts... So, um, in order to actually make uh, the process of enforcing the laws more in- efficient, he said, "Okay, we have to priori- prioritize these undocumented folks. So, at the top of the food chain were the very dangerous individuals—right, folks right. that have committed a certain level of crimes or repeat offenders, and/or individuals who recently immigrated into it came into the United States and don't have a lot of familial ties." If you go down the priority system, then you have people that may have committed crimes, but they're not necessarily as egregious, but they've committed multiple crimes. They are crimes. crimes. Multiple
0: crimes.
1: So you've got dangerous, which I assume would include
0: drug crimes. Absolutely. Okay, so if you're undocumented and you are in a drug uh, criminal activity, you're at the top of the chain to get deported out of here. And that's true throughout the country
1: it is and that has nothing to do with sanctuary cities or not the, the laws are pretty so black even and white. in even in a
0: sanctuary city if you are a drug criminal or are suspected of being a drug criminal the 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 city and the police will hold you and will turn you over to ice uh, to, to be removed
1: yes now period, I, period. yeah period. okay now again there's uh, certain levels of crimes you know too too short of a period to delve into all of them yeah right 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 but we're just trying to give an overview right but under obama's administration he actually prioritized the most egregious and then repeat offenders and then low-level criminals to people that had no crimes in there in okay there. and then he would also take into account um well not he he he, he allowed ice to have discretion. So that they could take into account, you know, what are your familial ties? How long have you been here? Yeah, do you have children? Do you have children? What are your family status? Because you yeah. have a lot of mixed status families where right. a spouse or children are here legally, b- even citizens, but right. um, you yourself are undocumented. And, and so he would allow ICE to take all of this into account. And enable them to use prosecutorial discretion, which is something that's used across the board no matter what. Anywhere.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, no all policemen do that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it, it just made sense mm-hmm. um, for all sorts of reasons, because if somebody were to get picked up um, in the classic um, example that we were talking earlier, getting stopped, Maybe, you know, they uh, had expired license or driving without Urban a license.
0: taillight or something like that, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: They end up in the precinct, but they're not a criminal. Or maybe they um, got caught with marijuana paraphernalia a couple of years ago, but they're otherwise, you know, clean, clean record. Uh-huh. They have a wife. They have kids. Someone like they're that. They're
0: working hard, yeah.
1: Right? ICE could use their discretion and say, you know what? You are low-hanging fruit. We're not going to use our resources. We're going to leave you alone. That doesn't mean that they have now an a path to um, legal status. It just means that we ICE are not going to use our resources to try and remove you out Mm -hmm. of the country. Um, Well, under Trump's administration, he got rid of that priority system.
0: Mm -hmm. He
1: basically said, prosecutorial discretion, what? We're not not dealing with that anymore. If you cross paths with ICE, if you're undocumented, we don't care how long you've been here, we don't care how crime-free you are, you don't care how what your familial ties are out of the country you go.
0: What do you say to people that say, you're illegal by definition. You've committed a crime because you're here in a way that is against our law.
1: Well, that takes this discussion back to the laws need to be updated. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been... Now, ov- over 20 years since there's been comprehensive immigration um, shifts in the How law. How
0: hard is it to become a citizen if you're if you're an immigrant?
1: Well, you have very narrow limit. Uh, you have very narrow paths, either through a family and with e- a family member, and even let's let's just talk about family. Okay. So if I am a U.S. citizen and I want to file for a sibling, right now the wait for visa is 13 years. What? If I am from Mexico, China, the Philippines, the wait can sometimes be up to 20 years. Um, Wow. If I am a green card holder filing for my spouse, the wait is considerably less. I'm going off of the top of my head right now, but it's roughly about two years. If I am a U.S. citizen filing for my adult child, right now the wait is roughly about nine years. Oh. And and you know, that's just the wait for a visa. Then you have to also be eligible for that visa. Um and if you happen to be in the United States while you're waiting for that visa, you have to maintain legal status or else when that
0: But how can you maintain legal status if you can't
1: get a visa? That's the question, right? So Wow <laughs> That also means that if you're doing it the quote unquote right way you're apart from your family waiting for those visas. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and that backlog is one of the main things that a lot of folks that are pushing for immigration reform are pointing to how the system is broken.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And, again, I j- I'm, that's just the family route. Um, there are You can come in as a student, um, but you cannot work a certain – you have to get permission to work while you're a student, and you can only work a certain number of hours while you're a student. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And once you're done with your studies, you have to find another way to remain here. And so, uh, remember when we were speaking earlier about one of the ways individuals end up being undocumented. Mm -hmm. One of the more common ways is coming in as a student now you've got your education and you want to live your life here, but you don't have a, an employer that's willing to sponsor you, mm-hmm. you don't have a relative that's willing to uh, able to... How petition long does for it you. take if you have an
0: employer that's willing to sponsor you?
1: That can take, um, well it depends, there's several routes, I admittedly don't practice employment based immigration law, okay, okay. that's a whole other niche. Uh-huh. Um, but that is quite the investment on the part of the employer mm-hmm. because they're required to pay all the fees affiliated with you obtaining that visa. Wow. And so, um, for that reason, you know, many employers Most will are like, not "Do that, right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah." Wow, we because what about the idea that
0: that people are taking jobs that would otherwise go to Americans?
1: Well, so. I know that, and, and 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 I know the landscape of the agricultural world hasn't shifted. But I know that nobody was fighting my parents to pick the apples and blueberries. Yeah, the
0: Americans year. don't like to do that kind of work.
1: Right. I mean, and you know, we, we we can talk from low level to my parents to pick the apples and blueberries. Yeah, the
0: Americans year. don't like to do that kind of
1: work. Right. I mean, and you know, we we, we can talk from low level to high skill um, employment opportunities, and and. By and large, the reason why they're here is because there's a demand mm-hmm. why and and if there's going to be any scrutiny on what's going on here, I would say it's the employers who a lot of times may pay under the table or lower. Right. Lower fees. Take advantage of people. Exactly. So it's not the immigrants' fault. It's mm-hmm. the employers that are employing them and, and employing them for less than they would um, An American. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right,
0: right. Wow. That's really interesting. If you're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell, we have... As our guest, immigration attorney, who uh, George, who I forgot to say is also a jazz singer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
1: We're not here to talk about that, right? Right. <laughs>
0: but you have to let us know are you singing anywhere
1: soon. I am Blues really? Alley. Yeah. Are you?
0: You must be good
1: if you're at Blues Alley. <laughs> really?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. When?
1: October ten.
0: We might have to go see you. please, please that do. That is great. Please okay. do. Very good. I definitely... Are you going to sing in Portuguese or...? I do sing in Portuguese and English. Okay. I do. Very good. What's the name of the lady that's so famous Um. uh, that sings in Portuguese? Bebel Gbertin? Cesaria Ivor. Cesaria Ivor. yeah, Absolutely. Oh, my God. She's awesome. She is. Okay. Well, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. (laughs) The immigration lawyer is going to be singing
1: (laughs) (laughs) Blue's Alley. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Really. Wow. So, right now, everyone is understandably scared. If you hear all the news and the rhetoric going around in the news about how immigration laws are being enforced at this time. Um, it's scary, yeah. especially if you're undocumented. And I think now is the time, if you're undocumented or if you have a loved one or a friend who's undocumented, now is the time to actually sit down with competent legal counsel to understand what your options may or may not be. Okay. You, may, you may be surprised on the options available to you for any number of reasons that you more than likely wouldn't be exposed to if you didn't sit down with, with a lawyer. Right. Okay. Right. okay.
0: And. Go on, go on. What's a good link for finding out what you should know about who you even go to?
1: Right. So uh, I just want to say that immigrants, especially if they're undocumented, are a very vulnerable um, population. Yes, scam artists, yeah. There's going to be a lot of people that say they're attorneys, maybe they were at some point, maybe they were in their countries of origin, but they're not licensed to, to practice law in the here and now. Um, in Latino communities, those are commonly referred to as notarios. Um yeah. In other immigrant population groups they 're sometimes called immigrant consultants okay. and they 're not attorneys, but okay. because they look like the population they 're serving and they speak the language of the population they 're serving, many people go to them uh-huh. um, and they get their cases messed up their li- their money is taken and um, that can be that can devastating effects wow and wow and, and, and that 's always happened that 's not something new but it 's particularly uh th- this is a season where that's really ripe for or for well, that happening kind of happening they're, they're faint, faint so how do you know how do you know well so uscis has um a repeat that again slower USCIS.gov.
0: Okay. USCIS
1: is within the Department of Homeland Security. It stands for United States Citi- Citizenship and Immigration Services. Okay. And USCIS has a page, uh, a tab on their page, specifically um, dealing with how to avoid scams, how to know who to go to. And they also provide um, lists of competent legal Service providers in your particular area, so that's, that's good, the for link people to know. Yeah, and
0: ladies and gentlemen, we're going to put that on our website, LawTalkWithEthelMitchell.com. And I want to encourage everybody to go there and sign up, please, because we have a lot of good information on that site. But on this program's page, that link will be
1: there. Absolutely, and and you know, then just if if you're going to a private attorney, do your homework, like you do uh-huh. homework for everything else, whether you're buying a car or a couch Mm -hmm. or a mattress, do your homework. Don't just go to anybody just because. And, 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 um, I, and, I, The best thing you can do if you're undocumented right now is educating yourself, empowering yourself with knowledge, making sure you understand what all the moving pieces are. If you really have no options, then setting up some sort of a system so that your loved ones are taken care of and protected if if the day comes that you are removed from the country.
0: Right, right, Um, right. And and you mentioned during the break, too, that there may be options that you don't even know about. Your 21-year-old child might be able to apply for you. You might be eligible for asylum, you know, if you're a subject of abuse or s- trafficking.
1: Yeah, there there are options to getting legal status in the U.S. if you're a victim of certain types of crimes. If you are a victim of domestic abuse. Um, if you're afraid to go back home, um, that's asylum. Uh-huh. Um, the domestic abuse Issue falls within the Violence Against Women's Act (VAWA). Okay. There are provisions there that protect um, immigrants, documented and undocumented, okay. um, and provides them paths to legal status. There's something uh, that's called a good. There's something called a U visa. If you're a victim or a witness to certain types of crimes, you can get a U visa. Okay. Um, so, uh, I'll, you know. These are options you would want to explore with a competent attorney. Attorney, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does any of this apply to Apply you? to you, yeah. right. So give your name out and your office and your phone number, please. Sure. My name is Lloyd de Rosa-George, L-O-I-D-E-R-O-S-A, last name J-O-R-G-E. My website is L-R-J-O-R-G-E com, and you can reach me any... Uh, through any means once you get to that website. Okay. And also I do provide um, free workshops within the DMV. Oh, that's good. So if you're a church or an organization that services um, immigrants and you would like to just have a um, um, an info session where I talk through and walk through certain aspects of immigration law. I'd be happy to do that. If I have to travel more than 20 miles, I just ask that you pay for my gas. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But that's that's my way of giving back. And Uh um, whether it's me or the next person, um, the DMV has actually a lot of legal accredited legal service providers that can provide this type of service oh, that's good to know yeah we're, we're really lucky in this area yeah, yeah yeah it's
0: not true everywhere no it's not yeah and and I, I, I hope that our people will remember and know that you know Two, three hundred years ago, it was us that was being trapped and tracked down and separ- our families were being separated and broken and torn apart. Uh, I started a series at, at 8.30 about slavery, mm-hmm. and I'm going to continue that series each each week during the 8.30 program where I talk about the law as it applied during slavery so we can really understand not only what happened then, but how it impacts what's going on right now. now. Yep. Because the, the same type of people, the descendants of these people who had these, these ideas and thoughts and behaviors are who are coming back up to the fore now. Yep. And so we have to arm ourselves with knowledge, and that's not knowledge that we know about. Absolutely. You know, and so we have to arm ourselves. So uh, I'll repeat here, if you're interested in the whole subject matter, there's a great book called The American Slave Code in Theory and Practice by a William Goodell, G-O-O-D-E-L-L. You can buy it. In at Amazon, you know, it was 1853, it was published, and it's amazing, and I'll be talking from that for a while, so we can truly understand what is attempting to come back again, because it's hard to understand, but we need to know it, so we can fight it, and we can defeat it, again. Absolutely. You know, it's important. This is attorney Ethel Mitchell. You've been listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. Uh, If you have any questions or you want any help with Wills Trust and Estate Planning, give me a call. Uh, My company's name is Wills and Trusts. You can call me at 240-638-2828, 240-638-2828.